Welcome to the Conscious Woman podcast. This is your host Pavna Dur. Our goal with this podcast is to bring you interesting and insightful conversations on a range of topics that will support you in both living and leading more consciously. From conscious leadership and conscious inclusion to conscious eating, conscious parenting and conscious fashion. This podcast is in conjunction with the leadership development work that we do to support women leaders in leading with mindfulness and compassion. To learn more, please go to shinomics.com. Dr. Ruha Shadab wears many hats. She is a medical doctor, a social entrepreneur, and a management consultant. She is also the founder of Led by Foundation, a unique leadership incubator that works on improving equity in the workplace, especially for Indian Muslim women. A graduate of Harvard University where she received her master in public policy, Ruha has also worked at the government of India's policy think tank Niti Ayok and the Clinton Health Access Initiative. In this conversation, Ruha shares brilliant insights on how all of us can create a more equitable workplace for the 100 million Muslim women in India and beyond. Let's dive in. Welcome everyone to the Conscious Woman podcast. I'm so pleased to welcome our guest for today. Dr. Ruha Shadab, founder of Led by Foundation, which is focused on professional development of Indian Muslim women. Welcome, Ruha. I'm so excited to speak to you about how all of us can be more consciously inclusive of Muslim women, which I know is a very important conversation for us to have. So, welcome. Thank you for having me, Bhavna. Great. Ruha, before we get into what the amazing work that you're doing now, just to set the context i'd love to begin with what has led you to this point because looking at your career i know you have worn different hats and your career path has taken these twists and turns along the way you've gone from becoming a doctor to a public health professional to now a social entrepreneur so would love to know what were some of the driving forces that led your career path so i did start off as a doctor and I find myself now in a position where I'm a global health management consultant as well as a social entrepreneur. And this entire journey, Bhavna, for me actually has been one that's been really gradual. Actually, so it's it started from a place of wanting to do the deepest, most meaningful work that I could to impact social change, and then the journey has basically pulled me towards a larger scale of impact. so from being a doctor where i would treat patients one on one i moved towards public health and global health and then eventually also looking at it from an interdisciplinary lens and recognizing that healthcare access as a necessary lead to the sense of agency and self determination that one would want women to have which pushed me towards economic empowerment and eventually that to the creation of that by so i think my north star has very consistently been just greater social impact So none of these feel like pivots; they just feel like natural progressions. Yes. And what when you when you say your north star and your north star leading you to social impact, especially now focused on supporting Indian Muslim women? What were some? What is certain experiences in particular that influenced you or really motivated you to start doing the work that you're doing now? 
I wish they could I could say there was one or two it would make for a good story wouldn't it but honestly it's just the lived reality it's 30 years of being a minority woman in India and a series of micro experiences which made me very acutely aware of being the only Muslim woman in every more or less every school or office that I've been to or being the one of two Muslim women in offices and then also recognizing that they weren't mentors or role models, people I could look up to who came from similar backgrounds and neither were there follow you in place to make you feel at home. I think there's a super small thing which is that either isn't a holiday in every office, it's just not a national holiday of any sorts. And to not be able to celebrate the most important festival with your friends because everybody has that work are just small things that make you feel distant. And it adds up, right? The lack of representation, the lack of inclusive policies make you feel distant. And I managed to swim against the tide despite all of this. And it took a lot of hard work. I just didn't want it to continue to be this hard for other people, which is what led me to find, create, set up Ledby. And tell us more about Ledby. What really is the mission and vision behind Ledby? It's a simple but ambitious mission, which is to increase the workforce participation of Muslim women, essentially to make them present in workplaces, but also raise their visibility in workplaces. And what that would mean in terms of metrics is we are 8% of the population and we should make up 8% of the workplace. Right now we make up 1% or less than that. And I recognize it's going to be a long battle, but need all hands on deck because truly it's in the interest of whether or not you're a Muslim, whether or not you're a woman, whether or not you're an Indian also, just by virtue of the size of humanity that our country holds. Getting a hundred million Muslim women achieve and realize their dreams will only increase the size of the pie of the size of the parantha that we're all eating from. So it truly is in the benefit of everybody to help Muslim women achieve their professional goals. Absolutely. And it's so interesting because even for us at Shinomics, we are focused on supporting women. But when you look at women, I think as you've rightly said, you can't really view women as this one big monolith. There are so many nuances. There's so many intersectionalities that do influence the lived experience of of women individually, especially in a country as diverse as India. It makes a difference what ethnic region you're from, what religion you're from, as you mentioned, what caste. So there's so many things that go into shaping your experience as women. I'm, I'm curious to know when you look at the experience of Indian Muslim women, especially in the workplace, where do you find their experience is similar to other women and where do you find their experience is significantly different and what are those differences? I really like how you frame that question because there are parts of even the curriculum that we provide at by which would be applicable to any woman, maybe even any professional in the country, but then there are some aspects of our training which is very customized and highly or hyper relevant to Muslim women. So answering the first part, which is what are the parts of being an Indian Muslim woman in the workplace similar to being any other Indian woman in the workplace? And I think just an overall lack of female participation 
and a general patriarchal or sexist atmosphere is is very true to any woman right we all have been part of offices where there just happens to be a boy clique there happens to be that the men who go and grab a cigarette they can i have seen people that i really wanted to be my mentors but they already had mentees whom they would just go and like smoke cigarettes with between meetings and i'm just like okay i'm not going to be a part of that crew so how do i get into that crew uh, so i think that boys club situation is something that we all face and then there are other patriarchal attitudes such as the way management might react to somebody taking leave for getting married or a woman who might have just gotten married and hence might get pregnant and how they're dealt with and i think another thing that is really important which i hope that our country starts talking a lot more about especially corporate india which is re-entry into the workforce by mothers returning to work for example like that is such it's such a travesty that we don't acknowledge the amount of managerial skills it takes to be a mother and to run a household and all of that is actually held against her when she tries to re-enter the workforce whereas in all honesty she probably be a better manager than any man that you have in office so i think all of these continue to exist for women of any caste creed religion region in india but in some ways these are exaggerated for muslim women and i think what happens with muslim women in addition to having these challenges is a these challenges are hardest people but there are also so many implicit things that are happening in terms of them not being given opportunities because of their religion so for example led by conducted an almost year long research that applied for over a thousand job roles with two different resumes we had a hindu resume called priyanka sharma and a muslim resume called habiba ali and over 10 months we applied to these thousand roles and so for every two call back that priyanka got for the exact same resume habiba got one and this is just level one right this is at the round one to round two level what happens when they show up for the interview what happens when they wear a hijab what kind of promotional opportunities are not given to them so one can only imagine that this is way more magnified at every other step of entering and then staying in the workforce so this is the second bit and the third bit is which might actually also be similar to what a lot of other women face in the country which is just a general deprioritization of education and employment of women as it is even within communities so i think in summary patriarchal attitudes in the workplace and outside of the workplace and then religious discrimination are the three main factors some of which overlap for other women and some of them are unique to muslim yeah it's so interesting that the outcome you saw come across in your research because i know i've seen similar research that shows the disparity that exists between men and women which is equally stark i didn't realize when you break it down specifically for women and look at the differences that religious discrimination can create i didn't realize it would be as stark as it is thanks for really putting that into perspective so i'm curious given the level of discrimination that exists what is your approach to supporting women muslim women to to succeed in such a world what are you doing with your curriculum or your approach 
yeah. that is really preparing these women? So we look at it from three stakeholders. There's the individual, the women who have these live training sessions with us that span from four to 12 months. Then there is the stakeholder of the family. And then the third stakeholder are the companies. And the reason I talk about these three stakeholders is India is not an individualistic society. The problem isn't that women are not leaning in India. Yeah. That is not the issue. The issue is that nobody's letting you lean in. And that's what we need to solve for. And hence, yes, you hyper-equip the women who are already so fierce and so talented. But you give them that ecosystem of like-minded Muslim women to make that journey less lonely, to have peer mentorship. But then you also work with families and you encourage men and brothers and husbands to prioritize the women in their lives, education and employment. And then the third is then you work with companies and point out to them that hiring policies in India need to represent Indian realities and Indian communities and not be cut from the face of, say, what the U.S. is doing. You don't need a clause on veterans in India. You need a clause on religious minorities in India in your DEI policies. So to be able to create that kind of pull from companies saying that, yes, we want minorities, we want representation in our hiring pipelines, and to create that push both from individuals being equipped to our training as well as families encouraging and supporting and well, not encouraging or supporting but at least not bottlenecking this effort for women to enter the workforce. So those are the three stakeholders that we work with to be able to increase the representation of Muslim women in the workforce. I would absolutely agree with that approach because you're right, the issue is never just that women aren't leaning in enough, I think especially in a country like India, the social structures do create so many barriers. So beginning with that, and given that our social structures are so deeply entrenched and have been in place for a long time, how are you dismantling those? How are you creating that kind of an environment where those social barriers are not getting in the way of these women? It's not a one person show for sure. <laughs> So it is by creating small spaces where women are able to achieve their full potential and also magnify the women who are doing that as well as the support structure that is enabling that. So these women go on to become visible role models, leaders. We also have a very strong paid forward mechanism ingrained in our curriculum. So the women who are going through this training are already mentors paying it forward to young Hindu and Muslim middle school girls. But at the same time, we are also giving more space to amplify the supporting family members. Everything from, for example, when women graduate from our program, they get a certificate, but then there's also a letter written to their parents or their spouses telling them congratulations and thank you so much for being a starting role in this expert since then. And we've seen how creating that kind of positive reinforcement makes them also very loud proponents of Muslim women's education and employment. And we've seen the percentage of husbands, brothers, uncles, referring women to led by increase over the last three years. So I think it's also a lot about, I think we need to put the spotlight on the good people. There's been enough spotlight on the bad people. 
and once you start seeing that there are a lot of good people, I think that just makes the inherent goodness of other people also come out. I love what you just shared about writing letters to their family members as a way to to get buy-in from them as well. I think I heard of a similar approach that Indra Nui took, I believe, when she was the CEO of PepsiCo. She wrote letters to the parents of her senior executives. And that just created lifelong loyalty after that. So I think that's such a great initiative. Speaking now of corporates, because as you rightly said, there's a lot that needs to be done. And if we're not consciously inclusive, we are going to be unconsciously biased and and not create the kind of environment where Muslim women really feel supported and included. So what would be your top recommendations for organizations that they could consider taking that will create such an environment for Muslim women? Three steps. I would say, first is see what's happening or what is the makeup of your own organization. And I recognize that this is a sensitive topic. It's really scandalous to think about what is the caste and religious breakdown of your employees. But honestly, until and unless you don't do a mapping exercise, you won't even know there is a problem. And we're leaving so much talent untapped if we aren't going after the best that every community has to provide in India. So I think one is do it at whatever level with whatever confidentiality that makes the company comfortable, but reflect on what does your house look like right now. Then the next step would be in terms of, okay, this is the status quo. This is what the breakdown looks like but what have you been doing about it? So now then look at after you've assessed your people, assess your policies, which is, okay, where are we hiring from? Which which states are we hiring from? What kind of experiences do our people have in terms of our policies? I spoke about, say, holiday policy. How does that affect people? Infrastructure policy. Do we have a very visible temple in our office building, but no small prayer room for Muslims or for any other religion to practice their faith? And then the third is talk to people and support affinity groups. There is nothing wrong with having a Muslim affinity group, a Hindu affinity group, a women's affinity group, and or any sort of make of that within your own organization. At the end of the day, we spend so many hours at work, and if one is not able to bring their full self, it is, again, a shame for that person's lived reality, and it is a shame for the organization as well. I think all of this is really just about assessing how things are, what your people's structure looks like, look at what the policies look like, and listen to the people that you have. Feel free to ask them what could make this place better for different underrepresented communities. And all of this will provide you very insightful data to also take corrective measures. And what would you say are some things that we can do as individuals to be better allies to Muslim women? It's actually very similar to companies in a way. It's also a three-step process. And the reason it's, it sounds simple, but it's still groundbreaking. So I'm not asking anyone to get stickers or t-shirts or hold my cloud speakers, even though I would love it if you were to do that. But it starts with, again, analyze and question your surrounding. Reflect on who your friends are. Reflect on what does your office space look like. 
I'll ask you right now, how many Muslim friends do you have? Out of your 10 closest friends, how many of them are Muslim? Out of all the managers you've had, how many of them have been Muslim? If your parents have given a house ever out on rent, how many of your rentees were Muslim? And then ask yourself, why is this the case? So that's step one. One is observe and ask, why is the situation like that? The second is then to reflect on that some more in terms of what steps could you have taken? At what points of time were you yourself in a decision-making ability where you chose a Priyanka over a Habiba even though they were the exact same resumes? Yeah. Because at the end of the day, if you are holding these doors or have this access to power, if you aren't sharing it equitably, this is really a manifestation of stereotypes in the form of biases which are in effect discrimination that's what that is all leading to so ask yourself why things are the way they are reflect on moments of power or positions of power that you have held or have had decision making ability and try to correct those and the third one actually I think is the most revolutionary bit which is talk about it mm-hmm. talk about it not to your Muslim friend, even though they would love that. But talk about it to your parents, to your grandparents, to your uncles and aunts. Call it out when you see some sort of stereotyping being perpetuated and have those uncomfortable conversations. This is not an easy problem. This is scary. It's uncomfortable. It's unsettling. We honestly sometimes don't even know whether the person we're sitting next to is aligned with our values of inclusivity or not. So uncover those, tease them out, have those difficult conversations with people. And if none of this sounds revolutionary, donate to causes that you like. (laughs) And donate to organizations that are promoting an inclusive India. But that's how I think about it. I really do think it comes a lot from just step one, ask the right questions and talk to people in your immediate vicinity. If we can all start doing that would be a billion steps forward. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think some of the questions you just shared give us all food for thought. I think those are questions we can all ask of ourselves. To what extent in our own behavior and in our mindset are we really truly being inclusive? And how can we then take the steps you just shared to, to be more consciously inclusive? So Ruha, I'd love to also hear some stories of women who, whose lives you had the privilege of impacting through your work. Just to give this a human face, can you share a story or two of someone who has gone through your program and what she's gone on to do afterwards? Yes, oh, there's so many and they're all, it always overwhelms me to just think about them, but I'll share a few and I'll share ones of, I'll share some ones that I think bring out multiple characteristics. So, for example, one of our fellows from our earlier cohorts was this very bright, ambitious mental health professional. And they were just graduating from their master's program. But it's really hard to get a decent paying job as a mental health professional in India, especially somebody who who has a more social impact bend of mind, right? Now, this person came to that by, learned a lot, especially from our networking and negotiations curriculum. And also, how does one expand their own network? So that by is really not about providing you fish. It's really about teaching you how to go fishing. 
and she was such a good example of that because after she graduated from that by and was finishing off her masters she came back to us saying that there is this healthcare startup that i want to be a part of but i don't know if i get through don't know anybody there so what we do at that by we are basically indian muslim women's bride or die team so if you need any help with your professional development or career progression you come to us and we will make it happen so we basically identified somebody in that organization put in a referral they had their couple of interviews went through the whole rigmarole of the recruitment process and got in and they're doing exceptionally well and were one of the first employees of this healthcare startup and i think it's such a good story to show that you just need to open doors for these women and that's it they have all the talent that you can possibly imagine you just need to provide them access and this is one story we've had so many stories of women coming back and going through the pains of figuring out the right organization but recognizing that nobody's going to read their resume nobody reads habiba's resume <laughs> as we know but then we are able to create those friendly company contracts or companies that are interested in actually having a diverse pipeline who then pay heed and truly introspect the resumes that come their way and we're able to build that connection we've had women working in water conservation we have women working in documenting partition history we have women who are management consultants we have women who are teachers we have women who are social impact consultants we have women who joined led by without telling their family but at the end got a job at a bank and when they find it their family which in another situation would have been a little concerned about their women doing all of this were so proud of the kind of economic upliftment that the daughter was able to bring to the family that the parents actually were one of the speakers at her graduation so you're also able to see how sometimes even if these women need to make these decisions without necessarily sharing them with their family because they recognize that it is a time investment to be athlete by but then at the end of the day when the family sees the merits they are incredibly proud of their women and i think that's another thing to be said about mindset shift in terms of what we expect families to react as that this is not a zero sum game empowering muslim women is empowering families is empowering states is empowering the country and once we start doing that people will start seeing the effects and will add to the cause yes absolutely i think what you just said about not viewing this as a zero sum game is so important empowering any one of us is really cr- creating diversity valuing honoring respecting encouraging diversity helps is a win win for all of us well what you've been doing this work now for a few years so i'd be curious to know what what have been some of the biggest learnings that have come from doing this work what have you learned either from these women or from the work itself what are some of the key insights that are that have emerged so far for you so we at that by have been wedded to the problem not the solution the problem being that indian muslim women are underrepresented in the workforce we need to sort that and by not being wedded to the solution what we mean by that is we have a growth mindset and we are open to the idea that our solution is not perfect we thrive on feedback we strongly encourage feedback and we get better with every passing year so because of that there's been a lot of lessons that we've learned that we've already incorporated for example 
speaking more with friends and family and creating that microcosm of supportive structures for women is something that we quickly learned within the first year and then incorporated that in our second year. So recognizing that it's really not about the woman, it's about empowering a unit that is bigger than an individual to be able to create that kind of individual level change that you want to create. I think the second was just the number of people who believed in the mission was quite astounding. I was very pleasantly surprised at the kind of support that we got. I think that was a very nice learning from this. And the third was something that comes, I think any entrepreneur will tell you is you very quickly realize if you don't already know that your team is the most important thing that you have. And this is not a one person show at all. I have the most fantastic, most talented team that I could possibly imagine that make this happen. And they are very central to the work that we do. And the last thing I'll say about this is, I truly believe that the means should not be sacrificed or played with in order to get the ends. And I think the means are as important, if not more important than the end that we want to get. And what is our means as a social impact organization? It is how you leverage your team. So I think the experience that my team gets, the kind of professional growth, the respect, the inclusion that we show to our team members is also something that is an example in itself. So those were some of my core learnings. All right. So Ruha, paint a picture for us. Let's look at 2032, 10 years from now. What do you hope the world should look like? for women overall, but especially so for Muslim women. In a very ambitious situation led by what have worked itself out of a job by 2032, um, which would mean that as much as I tell every led by fellow that they are a unicorn, I hope we stop being unicorns. I hope it is normal to see Muslim women around you in the workplace. I hope that 8% of India, 8% of an office space basically is what we hope. That Muslim women can achieve their dreams, their career ambitions without systemic discrimination, without patriarchal sexist norms holding them back, without all other debilitating things that come in way of getting accommodation, <laughs> being able to travel to a different city for work, all of them being a relic of the past. And if a Muslim woman dreams a dream, she manages to get the opportunities to achieve that. Yeah, let's hope, let's hope this vision comes true because you're right, that would be a better world, not just for Muslim women, but I think for everyone. Because that would have meant that we've all intentionally and consciously created a more inclusive environment for everyone. Ruha, what, if I look at your journey, you have made so many inspirational choices for yourself and you are such an inspirational role model to young women. If you were to share advice with other young women who are looking up to you, who like you want to assert a stronger presence in the world, make a bigger impact, what would you say, what would your advice be to those women? Two pieces. The first would be to find your tribe. I think that's underrated. That's something we don't talk about much. Find mentors, find peers that you can make this journey with, that you can 
talk to about your professional goals and get feedback. Honestly, there really aren't professional challenges that we're facing today that somebody hasn't already faced them. So there are people who've gone through that and you can learn from their wisdom. And one would be surprised at how giving people are. People want to guide people. We all stand on shoulders of giants and feel a sense of indebtedness to pay it forward. So reach out to people that you admire. Put in the homework, read up about them, write thoughtful notes and try to create your tribe. I think that's really important and it will reward you in ways one can't even imagine today. Relationships that I invested in 10 years ago continue to pay dividends, continue to open doors for me, continue to help led by expand its impact. The second bit is, at least in terms of entrepreneurship or even in terms of just going off the beaten path, I think Nike said it best, just do it. It is so much about just doing it, and especially social innovation or social entrepreneurship, I think is 99% implementation and maybe 1% innovation. So just do it, learn from it, and then do it better. So those would be my two pieces of feedback. Find your tribe and just do it. All right. Now, coming back to something you said earlier, one of the things we can all do to be more inclusive, to be better allies, is quite simply support others who are doing this incredible work of creating more inclusive communities. So for anyone who is watching this or listening to this, who would like to support your work, how can they get involved? How can they support you? Three ways to get involved. One is if you have time and if you also, especially if you don't come from the community, I think our volunteer program would be fantastic. It's a one month part-time volunteer program. The details are on our website. It's ledby.org slash volunteer with us. I think that's a great way of also learning about the issues that Muslim women face. And it's not a very time intensive volunteer program and it's very smoothly run. The second thing is for especially senior women executives who want to act as mentors to Muslim women and help bring their doors of power and pay it forward to Muslim women and create that channel. You can reach out to me at ruha at deadby.org and we can explore having you on as an advisor in residence, which means basically being a mentor to our fellows and that requires again 20 to 30 hours a year at the bare minimum. And then the third is feel free to donate to us as well. We are a tax-exempt Section 8 company. Again, details are on our website. and would be more than happy to receive your support. We're also very transparent with the way we utilize our funds. So I think in terms of working with us, it would be volunteering, serving as an advisor, or donating to us. All right, great. We'll put more details and links, useful links for everyone in the description. And final question for you, Ruha. I think for us, when we think about what are the kind of leaders we want to create and creating conscious leaders, it's for us, it's a lot about individuals being mindful of the values that they're leading with and really stick to those values and express those values even when it is difficult. So I'd love to know from you, Ruha, when you think about your journey and all that lies ahead of you, what are those values for you that you wish to continue to consciously express and keep front and center in, in your leadership journey? 
there are a couple of things. I'll start with a couple of principles, and those are principles that are personal to me, and then also a part of the corporate values that led by follows, which is there is a strong sense of respect for people's time, and what that translates into is that. Anybody who reaches out to Ledby should go away with two feelings. One is that they should feel heard, and then they should derive some value from it. And that translates into things like Bhavna, even our application. So what we do with our application is we get thousands of women apply for our programs, and every single one of them gets feedback on their application whether or not they move forward. Every single one of them gets access to free courses. From other platforms as well. So the point is that they come, they interact with us, and even through the feedback, they're getting some value. And everybody, we're also very responsive team in terms of outreach that we get on our emails or our social media. So I think that comes from a sense of really respecting people's time and just having respect for people, which is a personal value and then also a led by value. And the second one would be. Second principle would be something that I mentioned earlier in this conversation is that the ends will never supersede the means. Remembering that is really important because every single decision you make as a founder, as an entrepreneur, as a social entrepreneur, is an opportunity to create impact. No decision is too small to be thought of. Oh, forget it! Like I can put my moral compass aside for this one. That is never the case. Every single decision you make is a moment to is re-establish your values and to create impact. And hence, there is a lot of thought that is put into every single thing that we do, every single campaign that we put out, every single application form, every single recruiting that we do, every single company that we target or partner with. So I think those are some of the things that we keep in mind. And then the third would be. Again, coming back a little closer to the team, I say that we are all essentially problem solvers. We're over here with our goal being how do we solve this problem of Muslim women's underrepresentation, and everybody is on the same team, and all we're trying to do is solve that problem. So those are a couple of things we keep in mind that are important to me and also very fundamental to how that by structure and how it works. Wonderful, Ruha. Thank you so much for joining us for this conversation today. And I do hope the vision you laid out for us does come true, and we can all collectively create a world where everyone feels included, and especially Muslim women. Because I know, as you just shared with us, there's so much work that needs to be done here. Thank you so much for joining us, and all the best to you as you continue to do this incredible work. Thank you, Bhavna, for giving me the platform and all the incredible work you've been doing too for women's inclusion. Here's to intersectionality. Yes, thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope you found the conversation to be insightful. If you did, please do leave us a review, as that would be most helpful in helping others discover this podcast as well. To learn more about the work that we do, please go to shenomics.com. We look forward to having you tune in again for future episodes. Until then, may you be well, may you be happy, and may you be at peace. Like this Sochcast? Tune in for more with the Sochcast app from the Google Play Store.